Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and to overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. I'm really excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show and I have my first male guest, which is really about time. I have 25-year-old Christoph from Louisiana in the USA. So Christoph works for Apple in Austin and he's always been interested in health alongside many other interests, including psychology, philosophy, history and spending time in nature. Now I met Christoph through Instagram and his account is at metabolism underscore recovery if you want to go and check it out. Through this account, he shares his wisdom and understanding of the powerful impact of extreme dieting on the body, gleaned from his own research and also his personal experience of bulimia nervosa recovery. So I'm really excited to be speaking to him today and hearing a male perspective on eating disorders. So let's get to the interview. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Christoph. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. I'm glad to be on. Okay, brilliant. So Christoph, could you tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do? So I'm a guy in my mid-20s and, you know, I've always been really interested in health from a young age, but also have a lot of other interests, including, you know, philosophy, like psychology, history. And I think a lot of those other interests kind of have had an influence on some of the ideas that have developed around health that I'm sure we're going to talk about. And So I currently live in Austin, Texas, and I work for Apple as an analyst. Okay, brilliant. So, Christoph, one of the reasons that I invited you on today is obviously you've had your own journey and kind of overcoming issues with food and body image. So I'd be really grateful if you could just tell us a bit more about that journey, please. Yeah, sure. So I guess my journey, this health journey, kind of began my senior year in high school. So growing up, I was always really big into sports and I didn't have much like free time. And this was like the first time in my life where I had lots of free time to do all the stuff I wanted to do, you know, hang out with friends. And I got really big into self-improvement at this time. And part of that involved going after like health and fitness goals. And a lot of my friends were also really big into that as well. So we would go to the gym almost every day and, you know, track our calories on my fitness pal. But I mean, it wasn't anything really an issue at the time, but we decided that we we're going to go on a diet for our senior trip that we had planned for the beach in a few months. And so we took a, got a dieting program online and overnight I was eating probably around 3,500 calories to probably, and you know, we didn't need to lose weight at all. We're all athletes and really in good shape, but we kind of saw it as something cool to do and interesting to do. And yeah, and so I guess the first time I kind of started noticing some issues with food is a few months into my diet, a friend and I were sitting in his kitchen and he started mentioning to me that he was having these uh, peanuts and he could not stop thinking about peanuts. And I remember us both kind of laughing about it because I was experiencing the exact same thing. And, you know, I guess we probably should have seen that as a sign that we were probably taking a little bit overboard, you know, especially at 18. But we kind of saw that as 
a good sign that we were headed in the right direction, trying to go after our goals. But yeah, so that was the first time I kind of noticed that was my first experience with cravings that are slightly different than just hunger in general. A few months later, we finally arrived at the beach and this is when my real struggle with food started to kind of develop. So most of my friends had quit the diet at this point, but I decided I was going to stick with it because I had another beach trip coming up, but yeah, like, and then I started developing some more intense reactions to food. So one, some of my friends were going to a Waffle House one day, one day while we were there. And I don't know if people in the UK know, but Waffle House in the US. So I went along with them and I kind of rationalized that I'm just going there to hang out with them. But I wasn't planning on eating. I was just kind of planning on being there just around the food. And it will actually, yeah. So looking back, I kind of know that in whenever you're in this diet mode, your body kind of changes your behaviors in ways to where you're more likely to be around food and more likely to end up accessing food. And that was, I kind of had this drive where I kind of wanted to be around food more than normal. And it was kind of like an odd experience, experiencing that. But yeah, I can still remember that after we were finished eating, we were all talking. I could not stop focusing on one of my friends still had food on his plate. And he had like two eggs and some toast. And I remember feeling, is he going to eat that? you going to let that go to waste? And, you know, when the waitress finally came and took away the, the food, I remember feeling kind of devastated about it. And it was kind of like a feeling I never really had in the past. But so this continued on until while all my friends were at the beach, I was up in the condo looking inside of the fridge at all the food that was there. And I was so tempted to just binge. And, you know, I fought it for a little while. And then before I knew it, I was eating like four bowls of spaghetti. And, you know, I could eat a lot more actually, but I just didn't want to eat everyone's food. But that was my first binge, I would say. And, and I was confused more than anything because that was the first time in my life where I felt like I had, like I knew what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Or knew what I felt like I had no control over my actions. And yeah, but yeah, so I guess at that moment, you know, I had two options. So one option one would be to quit the diet and starting regularly. And, or option two would be to go back on the diet and make sure that it doesn't happen again, that I don't cheat again. And, you know, looking back, I would obviously, if I can go back and tell myself, I would just say, you can just quit the diet. And before you know it, it will be a lot better. And you'll be able to have like a more normal experience mm-hmm. again. But, you know, the way society views like perseverance and determination made that choice kind of not an obvious one. And I thought for sure that the right thing to do would be to go back on the diet and to this time, you know, make sure that I didn't fail again. And so that I didn't know it at the time, but that's definitely when my eating disorder first began for sure. But yeah, but for the you know, the rest of the summer, even though I had battle going on with food, I still was very happy. So I've always been a really happy person. I was actually still really excited at this time because I figured that all I had to do was figure out the perfect diet or the perfect way of eating that would allow me to get rid of these cravings and still stay lean. And I've always been very experimental. So this kind of get me, get, got me into trouble trying different things. So I did a lot of fasting. Mm-hmm. during this time 
also a lot of you know, cheat meals. So I'd kind of alternate between fasting and then these big cheat meals, which were really more like binges disguised as cheat meals. And so I ended up having my second binge about two months after my initial binge. And, you know, it just gets more and more frequent after that because after you, the more you fail at a diet, it becomes harder for you to stick to it and to go back on it after you. So it's pretty common that people start off with like less frequent binges and it just becomes more and more frequent. And for me, it got to the point where around three months in, I was binging at least or almost every day. And if I wasn't binging, I was restricting. And that's when I was at probably my worst at my, in my eating disorder. And, you know, I was well into college at that point. And I had probably, well, I had definitely skipped more classes than I had actually been to. And I was really non-social. I really did not want to socialize. And that's kind of when I started looking for kind of the way. That's when I started to turn to purging. And it actually, so like after I started developing this, like I had bulimia after that point for probably another three years. And I really, for a while there, I thought I was not going to ever stop because I was like comfortable with what I was doing. It became just like a habit, a pattern. So yeah, I knew it was going to take something pretty big for change that. Mm. Sure. Well, like, thank you like, for sharing your story there, because I think it's so common as well, isn't it? That I think it often perhaps can start with what we, you know, we term as quite perhaps an innocent diet, really, like not even knowing the kind of road that we could be going down here. And like you said, like initially when you had that first binge, in a way you didn't even really perhaps understandably like relate it to the dieting it was just all a bit confusing really and then you just thought well I just need to kind of diet better I need to find the right meal plan to avoid this happening but I guess it's quite a slippery slope isn't it really because of it's almost yeah you keep trying different meal plans you become more restrictive and like you said in a way that the binges and binges become more frequent and then eventually you're kind of into purging as well so, Christoph, was there like a real turning point for you in overcoming these issues? Yes, yeah, definitely. And then, yeah, plus it's exactly what you just mentioned. That's definitely how it seems to be. And so, yeah, as far as the turning point, you know, you get some people just get kind of stuck in this cycle of restriction and binging. And they kind of have an idea that, yeah, eventually they'll stop. But then you kind of look back and, you know, the days are long and the years are short. And before you know it, it's been five years and you've been in this battle with restriction and your eating disorder battle. And, you know, anyone who has been on a similar journey of having an eating disorder, especially binging, that I always have this, this moment after the binge where, you know, the cravings are subsided for a while and you kind of have a clear head. And it's so really common to make a promise to yourself that, okay, I'm never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely not an exception to this. You know, I probably made that promise to myself hundreds of times through my time with the eating disorder. And it's very rare to actually keep that promise. And in fact, I never mm-hmm. did. And, you know, this kind of, that starts to have like an impact. You kind of lose your sense of, you know, self-efficacy and feel like you lose control over your life. And, you know, and I'd already been familiar with the idea of 
you know, metabolism recovery and the idea that you need to, if you start eating normally again, then you can help change some of these the issues that result from dieting. But I never was completely sold on the idea just because I, it seemed like a kind of a risk to me. Mm. I realized that all the time I had wasted with this battle with food and how consumed I was with it, that the risk became obvious that it's better than what I was, the route I was going down. So I basically started changing my promise from I'm never going to binge again to I'm never going to restrict again. And, you know, this definitely wasn't overnight where I was able to do this, but it was more of just I slowly started cha- changing my thinking about about disorder. And, you know, I started asking different questions like why is it that I see my survival instincts as the enemy? Like why would it be that I have like such a bad relationship with the very part of me that's meant to keep me alive? And like why is it that I can't have a good relationship with that? Mm, sure so it sounds like there as well like there was something that shifted wasn't there where you started to really perhaps just think about maybe I can trust my body again or kind of like you know whereas I guess when we're dieting we're just ignoring those signals aren't we but there was something that shifted for you and like you said in a way you started asking yourself those questions really and having a bit more body trust there so how did you kind of you know what were the factors that really kind of helped you start to turn all of this around yeah, I would say a big one that finally helps me have trust in like the process of you know refeeding and allowing myself to eat the food that it, it wanted me to was reading the biology of human starvation, which is a pretty big two-volume book that it a starvation experiment, which was a experiment in the 1950s where they took 36 young men and they're all healthy and they put them on a restricted diet for six months. And then they basically looked at their reaction to that, to the diet, whether it be just health metrics, but then also, you know, their behaviors and thoughts that resulted from the restriction. And what was really eye-opening to me is that these men had to dieting because it was very similar to all of the thoughts and behaviors that I had been experiencing for for the past five years or so at that point. And so just some of the examples, so all almost all the men became obsessed with food and it, they were completely just focused on it. In fact, I believe it was three of the men actually became chefs after the experiment because they were so interested in, because of their state there they're in. And you know, I kind of had similar, like when I was in my disorder, I was, I would spend lots of time in grocery stores, <laughs> like looking back, it's like behaviors that seem very odd, but you're just driven to be more interested in food. But, and also like one man reported that, you know, when he's watching movies, he was only really interested in the scenes where they had food and he had my experience with that. Cause when I had my eating disorder, I would, I would love watching like the Food Network and eating challenges. Like there's a show, Man vs. Food, where he would eat as much food as he could. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that, was, that was just something where like, and it's interesting looking back because I'm not interested in any of that anymore. And I wasn't interested in those type of shows before <laughs> my mm-hmm. eating disorder. So it's kind of odd how like, yeah, the brain can just make that shift. But yeah, I think those were like the two big, interesting things that I noticed about the experiment. And it kind of showed me that 
like all it takes is like you can take a healthy group of young men and just by restricting them, you can give them all the same symptoms and behaviors that we see in eating disorders. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating study, isn't it, actually? And I just think I could just think of so many people I've worked with, actually, who have ended up working in bakeries or cafes or, or spend like loads of time like cooking for others and it's just such a natural thing isn't it I think when you're starved of food that you you just want to be around it even if you're not going to eat it you want to be kind of smelling it looking at it you know yeah it's such a kind of common thing and it, I guess it just shows just that powerful instinct isn't it for survival really yeah really interesting So reflecting on the journey you've been on as well, you know, what are your key learnings about the impact of dieting on your relationship with food and body image? Yeah. So like for a while, while I was in my restriction and my eating disorder phase, I really kind of thought that eating disorders were always this simply like an emotional issue, kind of like depression, anxiety. And in fact, that's what you kind of Anytime like you look up like what causes binge eating or what causes eating disorders, it like you almost always see articles that explain it in this this way and kind of leave out the whole food aspect of it. And looking back at the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, like I mentioned, it kind of showed to me that, you know, it's it's a lot it's sometimes a lot simpler than that, to where it's just our body's reaction to dieting and all of that kind of makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. But also, like, you know, the men in the starvation experiment, they didn't have all, like, the cultural pressure, same cultural pressures that we have today that are often, like, blamed on developing eating disorders. And, well, I definitely think that it's important to, that cultural, in that they make us more likely to diet in the first place and make it harder for us to stop. It's definitely not the only thing that, you know, kind of leads to the eating disorder and, you know, I used to view my eating disorder as the cravings and the binging themselves as opposed to the restriction. But now I've kind of changed that and I kind of just see the cravings and binging as a inevitable result of the prolonged restriction that I was trying to stay in. And, and I think there's, from, from my, like, experience with therapy – I think, you know, mainstream kind of still sees the binging and the cravings as the main issue whenever the main issue is really the inability to give up the restriction, even though you see that it's causing you issues. Like when I was in therapy, we would also always, you know, work on ways to prevent, like we would, when we started our discussion, it was always like, did you binge this week? And if you did, then like, what can we do to prevent in the future when we probably should have been looking for ways to prevent the restriction. And that's why I think it's good, you know, to have a therapist who kind of is knowledgeable about some of these, these biological concepts in like starvation. And the idea that eating disorders always have this deep emotional root cause to them is actually kind of an attractive idea to people that are in restriction because it, gives them this you know, false sense of hope that there's a way that they can still restrict and get an eating disorder if only they can find this one issue that, that led to their eating disorder. And, you know, no one really wants to hear that they'll have to gain weight to get rid of their cravings. 
but myself and many others have found that their you know so-called emotional eating has gone away when they stop dieting and that kind of shows to me that it's not all just emotions mm. yeah i mean it just i think it just shows doesn't it because i think you can't ignore that part of treatment can you like you have to treat the restriction really to be able to develop a healthy relationship with food like you can't as we know from the Minnesota starvation study, you know, you can't stop being preoccupied with food. You can't stop having big cravings. You can't stop wanting to binge if you're in a place of restriction. That's just kind of like a biological thing that's going to happen, isn't it? Did you find then, Christoph, with you then as well? Because I think I'm really with you that I believe that the restriction bit needs to be addressed first. But obviously then some people when they have managed the restriction and, and they are eating more, they may still continue to binge. And, and I think part of that is because of they are still mentally restricting. You know, they're not truly allowing themselves the full range of foods. So binge is still being triggered. But did you find that once you were kind of fully in that place where you knew that you were kind of, you know, biologically feeding yourself enough, did you find that you didn't have any binges at all that could be triggered by emotional things? I would say if... It wasn't have stuff that triggered binges, but I would have stuff that would try to like change my thinking to where I would think, oh, maybe I should go back to restriction. And yeah, that was something I definitely had to fight from the beginning. But I mean, I would say anytime, anytime you have, yeah, I mean, I would say like that's, yeah, that was pretty much the case for me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. No, sure. I, th- I think it's just really helpful and really interesting, isn't it? I just think, it just shows, I just think sometimes how just the power of restriction, but not just the kind of under eating of enough calories for your body to function. But I think as well, people often get stuck in a kind of mental restriction. So even if they're allowing themselves more food, there's that constant judgment around what they're eating, which can then maybe sometimes lead to binging as well because of I've blown it thinking, that kind of thing. But no, really interesting to hear your experience. So what are your thoughts as well about on the impact of childhood and trigger events and how this can impact your relationship with food, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very interesting question, you know, because I feel like my childhood was always really good. I had a really good childhood. And, you know, I think it's always a good idea to look back on your past and see how some of those behaviors or some of those experiences can affect affect a lot of your thoughts and actions today but you know a big part of my work is revolved around you know simple demystifying eating disorders and like you know a lot of our thoughts and behaviors that we have with eating disorders make perfect sense from evolutionary perspective and a lot of what's considered like disorder is actually our body doing exactly what it should be given in those circumstances but yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's a good idea to still look back in the past in general, but I don't think that, I mean, you should always, you shouldn't, you do that instead of ending the restriction because I would still say that being out of restriction is the most important part because even if you do find this one event that really changed your childhood, it would help to discover it, but it's not necessarily going to get you right out of restriction. You're still going to have to do the work to to get your body into like, the state that it needs to be and get to a healthy weight. And then those, then finally those, a lot of those survival instincts will 
subside. Sure. Yeah. No, I think really interesting. I mean, do you think as well, I think something that I kind of feel sometimes about perhaps people that have, you know, experienced more trauma or they have had things that have been really difficult, I think as well, maybe, you know, because I think anyone that diets and restricts is vulnerable to these symptoms. You know, we kind of know that, don't we, from the research. But I think as well that, you know, maybe if you've had experience, if one has had experiences where you've experienced, I don't know, you know, some sort of abuse or trauma or like criticism or judgment, I think as well, putting that onto the dieting, if you're kind of parenting yourself then, perhaps quite unconsciously in a very critical way, you may be more vulnerable to kind of using or, you know, one could be more vulnerable to using dieting in a very kind of punishing way. Whereas maybe if you have, if one has like a healthier self-esteem and has kind of slipped into dieting, it may be a bit easier to get out of it again. Yeah, Um, I definitely agree with that. mm, Sure. Yeah, they're really interesting, but really exciting, Christoph, as well. You know, you've written a book, haven't you? So can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, well, you know, if anyone would have told me in high school that I would end up writing a book, I probably would have thought they were crazy. I once heard this quote, only write a book if you can't not write it. And I think that kind of sums up why I ended up writing a book. You know, living with the eating disorder for so long, you know, I felt a lot of the mainstream advice just wasn't consistent what I experienced and what a lot of other individuals have experienced. So I just kind of wanted to share my story and some of the information that allowed me to finally recover and convinced me to finally recover. And I was kind of reluctant to write it at first just because a lot of the information and the stories are pretty personal, but I decided that, you know, if it can help somebody out, then I should share it. Hmm. Well, I think it's fantastic. And Crystal, what's the name of your book? If people want to go and look that up. Yeah, it's just Metabolism Recovery is the name of the book. And if you type in, I think you search Christoph Garon on Amazon, you'll find it. Or you can just go through my site, uh, metabolismrecovery.com. Sure. Okay, brilliant. So how did you find that kind of whole process of writing the book? It was, it was pretty a challenge because I've work full time and I was kind of just writing it as I go but you know I really like the writing in general just because it helps you know organize I started writing a lot of the content that ended up in the book uh, a lot of it started with me just writing for metabolism recovery my website was just started blogging about some of the ideas that I have kind of discussed today so far but you know like aside from metabolism recovery I've, I like writing about I have another website where I like to write stuff that's not related to the metabolism. And for instance, I write about like the physics of weightlifting or just random topics like Mm. that. And I've always found that, you know, writing has kind of helped organize my ideas. Sure. Well, fantastic. I think, you know, good on you for writing a book. Because I think it's something that a lot of us kind of think about, but actually kind of getting around to like, you know, doing it, you know, really impressive. And I think I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this actually would just find it really, really helpful to read about your experiences. So Crystal, how do you work to find a healthy balance with food and exercise in your life today? Well, first I'll say that, you know, the main difference between me and my relation to food and exercise now as opposed to when I was in eating disorder is now they're more of like an afterthought where before it was just the center stage of my life. It was like the main thing I focused on. I would say when it comes to exercise, mainly I have switched my focus to parents 
more to performance and what I can do with my body as opposed to how it looks. And so what that kind of looks like is instead of doing like car road going on runs like every day and forcing myself to do that, I'll do activities in general that are just like a variety of stuff. You know, I'll go on hikes with friends. I'll go for a run some days. I'll go swimming sometimes. And so I like to just kind of keep things interesting and mm-hmm. basically just make it exciting. And I'm more likely to end up being active this way anyway, because I'm just more excited about more, just more excited about it. But food, you know, always was always a bigger issue than me than exercise. And because like food basically just consumed my life for five years. So now I'm kind of at the point where I really just don't want food to control my life anymore and have that power over me. You know, but a big part of that is just that I'm at a healthy weight. So I'm naturally less interested in food, but I also have, you know, made a conscious decision that I'm not going to go down the path that, that end up leading to me developing those cravings. And, but I'll get emails from people all the time. And like one of the main things they ask me is they want kind of verification that after they start eating to satiety and eating normally again, that those cravings are going to go away. And a lot of people have a hard time trusting that they will. Mm-hmm. And I definitely had a hard time trusting that those cravings would go away. But I would say a good rule of thumb is that if your weight is in balance, then your appetite will follow that healthy weight and your body won't have the need to give you those intense cravings of food and make you obsess about food. And so, yeah, so now I just basically eat when I'm hungry and get onto things that I'm just more excited about. Mm, so it's kind of like taking the leap, isn't it, with that sort of self-trust, really? Because I think, isn't it, after you've been dieting for so long, you've just like lost that self-trust and, and like being able to rely on those internal signals. But it's kind of like, I always think as well, it's kind of almost like the only way out is through, isn't it? You kind of got to just kind of take that leap and it might be a bit bumpy to start with, but it's the kind of way to get there. So Christoph, what do you think we can do? You know, big question here really, but to support young people growing up to have a better relationship with food and their bodies. Yeah, this is actually a really difficult question, but you know, I think I'd have a slightly different view on it than some people will idea out there that we should, you know, eliminate all ideas or all ideals of like the ideal body from culture and social media and advertising. And I just kind of wonder how realistic that would be. Cause I think as humans, we always have this ideal that we will, we desire, whether it be, you know, finances, success, or in this case, like with our bodies. And you kind of see that sometimes that people switch still to the next and kind of that in the, the body positivity space sometimes people who lost weight i don't think that's a the route to go on either but you know i think instead an ideal that young bad ideals that young people can aspire to and i think for the most part like movies in the past decade or so have done a good job with that but i prefer to visual level because you know, we have more it's more actionable for us so all of us have some young people in our lives that we have a chance to influence positively and you know as individuals we can't help everyone but i think if we all kind of make an attempt to have a positive impact on those young people then it can really change our lives but i would say as far as 
influencing in general. I like to force young people to be something they're not, for sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't hold them to a high expectation either. I think it's important to, you know, help them or let them decide what their ideal is and then encourage them to be the best they can be at it. And I think this last part's important because that kind of helps build confidence in their identity and who they are. And it'll make them less likely to be influenced by, like, they're, they'll already be on their path and, and, and be confident and more confident in who they are. And I would say this, this confidence would kind of bleeds over in all areas of life, including relationship with food as well as body image. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's so true, isn't it? Because I think if one has got like a healthy self-esteem and is developing confidence in a way, you're much less likely to get kind of diverted down a destructive route, aren't you? Because you're going to be like rooted maybe in kind of values and interests that are inspiring you and are kind of positive and uplifting and, and probably taking you in quite a constructive direction. Whereas if your self-esteem is low, you know, in our culture, you can be more vulnerable to being influenced by some of those negative messages and kind of investing a lot of energy in that. So I think you're really right there. Self-esteem is the key, isn't it? I think trying to support people to like, you know, be themselves and um, follow their own path and all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. So Christoph, final quick fire questions for you. What would be your last supper three course meal? Hmm, let's see. Well, I'd start off with a big green salad with lots of veggies, probably some blue cheese. And then for my main course, I get a giant <laughs> grilled ribeye with some rosemary and garlic and maybe some pasta on the side. Mm-hmm. And then I'd probably finish it off with some cheesecake. Mm, yeah, sounds delicious. <laughs> and do you have a favorite quote or mantra? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really big into stoicism. And one idea of mantra that's, that has roots in stoicism is basically Latin for remember death. And it sounds pretty dark, but I think it's actually a positive quote because it helps you kind of appreciate life as we have it and to make sure we're just living life to the fullest so that's something i always try to think about mm, sure and tell us something about you that may surprise us <laughs> okay well i can i can write with both hands and so i was born left-handed but just one day in eighth grade i decided to start writing with my right hand and i was horrible mm. at it but i just kind of stuck <laughs> with it and so now i just write with both hands but funny short story about that is in college, it was a bit, I was taking a big university exam and I had an essay that I had to write on the back of it. And I was writing and my hand started cramping up. So I switched from my left hand to my right hand <laughs> and then I turned it in. And then the next day, the professor called me or sent me an email or said he wanted to see me after class. And I think he suspected I was cheating. So I had to, I had to show him that I could write with both hands and I wasn't in fact cheating. So <laughs> oh wow and quite a unique skill though isn't it i don't think there's many people that could actually like write to the exam standard on, with both hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so Christoph, as well can you just remind us well where can people find you like if they want to like check you out on social media or your website 
Yeah, so my website is metabolismrecovery.com. And also I have Instagram where I sh- share. I've, I haven't been as active on Instagram as I like because I've been preparing for grad school soon. But also on metabolism underscore recovery on Instagram. Those are the two main places where add some content. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's great. And I'll make sure that all that info is in the show notes so people can like, you know, go and find you if they want to kind of follow up and ask any questions or, or anything. And of course, I like put your book as well in the show notes. because I think that would be really interesting for people. So Christoph, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you, you know, just sharing your story so openly and for, you know, passing on this kind of wisdom and all the things that you've kind of learned on your journey. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks. That was great to be on. I've interacted a lot on Instagram, so it's finally good to have been able to have a discussion with you. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, thanks, Christoph. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed this interview just as much as I did. And do go and check out Christoph's details in the show notes. Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for regular blogs to your inbox, do sign up for my weekly articles at rethinkyourbody.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.